How is everyone today? Doing good? Can we thank our brother Henry for plowing through those announcements? If you don't know, Henry is one of our elders here at the Gospel Tab, part of the leadership team that, um, that I've gotten to lead with all these years, and so appreciate him and others. Also, FYI, John Weber right here and Teresa Sims, who's not here today but is here often, uh, they are on our leadership team too. So three of our leadership team members, um, the elders and deacons who help lead our church, worship with you weekly. So um, just so you know who they are. Um, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, so you can turn there. Um, I don't know if you all know, but uh, Devontae and Kiara had a, um, some stuff going on in their family. They're grieving a loss. And so that's where they are this weekend. So we miss them, but they will be back with us next weekend. So you can be praying for them. Um, I'm excited to talk about uh, what we're going to be looking at today. We're doing just one Sunday. Uh, Steve's preaching at the Crestmont campus today. Just one Sunday on generosity, which is one of our family values. It's one of the things as a Gospel Tab family we aspire to be. Uh, we aspire to be a generous people and to see the generosity of Jesus um, manifesting in our lives and in our relationships. And uh, it, periodically, we try to take a Sunday or a series of Sundays just to re-examine this. And um, it's really good to be with you, by the way. For the last four Sundays, I've been in other churches. So I'm really glad this, this feels like home. It is home. And so um, it's just so good to be back here today. Um, and I know generosity is a word that describes this family. Um, but it's good to root ourselves in it again. When we were approaching this Sunday, um, I, said Steve, I said to Steve, why don't you pick the passage? And wherever God leads you, I'll preach on the same passage. So God led him to Acts chapter 2. And I was like, man, that's so good for where we're at currently. So I just want to share with you some thoughts today out of this passage. So one of our values, and we're picking up in Acts 2 today just to give you some context, kind of in the wake of the event of Pentecost. So Jesus had told his disciples that after his ascension, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the church. And of course, they waited and prayed in Jerusalem as Jesus had told them until the promised Holy Spirit was poured out. And it was really good for us to be reading in Joel chapter 2 today. It was perfect. It was a prophecy about really the generosity of God, right? Which if we're going to talk about generosity, we shouldn't just talk about our generosity, but God's generosity, right? And Pentecost, the pouring out of God's own self, his own personhood onto the church. Jesus had told them, I, I was with you, but it's actually going to be better that I go because then God's going to give himself into you, right? Um, God, God pours himself out at Pentecost and is generous away, gives his power away. You hear us say at the Gospel Tab, like, he just gives his stuff away. It's, in, it's the disposition of God just to give himself away. In the wake of that, we find that the church, the people of God who have received this spirit, are moving in radical generosity, and that makes sense, right? Because the spirit that was poured out onto them is a radically generous spirit. And now that spirit is living within them and this radical generosity 
is coming out of their lives. It's this natural outflow. It's like, it's like if this huge like stone was like thrown into like a pond and all the ripple effects you know, came out from it. It's like Pentecost was that huge stone you know, prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, promised by Jesus. And now in the wake of that, the waves that are created, among the many waves that are created, miracles and other things, is generosity, right? And that's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to read just a few verses. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I would love it if you read it with me in unison this morning. It's just a few verses. Let's read together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers had everything together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And if you read a few chapters after this, you see that this kind of radical generosity where people are selling possessions, um, it's described later on in the book of Acts that from time to time people would sell their properties, even their houses, right? And give those assets to the mission of God that was happening in the wake of Pentecost, right? So here's just some thoughts on kingdom generosity in light of Pentecost. Um, first of all, I think it's worth noting that like the main evidence of a spirit-filled person is love, Right? God's spirit is a spirit of love. God in his personhood is fundamentally love. So when we are filled with God, right, we become people of love. Now, there's all kinds of manifestations that can happen when someone is filled with the spirit of God. There can be all kinds of physical manifestations. There can be miracles and prophetic words that happen. People can speak in tongues. But all of those are really subsets of the love of God. Right? All of those are really subsets of experiencing the love of God and being empowered to give the love of God to other people. And so it's no surprise that right after Pentecost, we have this beautiful passage about the church in Jerusalem that really is just a passage about love. We already saw some of the manifestation stuff happen at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, right? We've learned that they spoke in tongues and there were these you know, flames of fire that were on their heads and Peter proclaimed the word and power, right? There's kind of this, this atmosphere of spirit manifestation that is happening. But it's no surprise that where that leads to is deep love between the believers. As a matter of fact, that has often been the case for us here at the Gospel Tab over the years. There have been times when God's spirit you know, is moving in a room like this, and maybe there's high manifestation in a particular one of our gatherings, and at some point in one of those gatherings, in the midst of all the manifestations that might be happening, um, I kind of sit back and look, and I'm like, oh my goodness, people are really loving each other right now, right? Just caring for each other. Like, like I love it when the manifestation stuff happens, but I start noticing that people are just encouraging each other, right? Asking each other how they're... It's like, not only does power break out in the room, but love breaks out in the room, Right? And that's what happens with the disciples here. And this love is characterized by eating meals together. As a matter of fact, that, way more than this, was the primary context of discipleship and worship and taking communion and prayer for the early believers. They, they weren't holding services like this. Even though they were still going in and out of the Jewish synagogues and the temple, participating in those worship gatherings. But for the early Christians, 
It was gathering around meals, right? Where their love was evidenced for one another, right? And they began to exist um, with each other in community. There are signs and wonders happening, but then we learn this, that all the believers had everything together. They had everything in common. In other words, they didn't count their own possessions as their own. It's really radical, right? Like, the stuff that they had, they no longer considered it their own, but considered it to be in common, right? Like a common purse with the other believers, and then they're selling property and possessions and giving to anyone who is in need. The spirit of generosity in the early church was fundamentally about a posture of open-handedness that says, the things I have, I do not cling to, right? The things I own that maybe God has placed into my hands are actually not mine, right? They belong to God, but it's not just that they belong to God. Because they belong to God, they actually belong to my brothers and sisters, right? Think about that. It's one thing to say, yeah, I know, and I know, like, sometimes we know what to say in church. It's like, it's like, oh, yeah, all my stuff belongs to God. It's easy to say that on a theoretical level. But the manifestation of my stuff belonging to God is that my stuff actually belongs to you, Right? is that you actually have access to my stuff. This is some really radical things. And I don't know how you're feeling right now as I say this, but like this rubs up against so much of who we are conditioned to be as Americans. We have to realize this. This is one of the places where the scriptures will really rub up against some of the idolatries that are most present in our culture, right? So sometimes when you feel that in the scriptures, um, probably there's idolatry present. Like this is a hard passage for me, right? Like, how, how does this look in a society that so values personal property, right? That so values me having my stuff and me building wealth, right? What does this look like? It's hard, right? But it probably means that we're wrestling with some idolatry, and that's a good place to let the grace of God minister to us out of the scriptures, right? So it's this posture of being open-handed. That's like, look, everything we have as a family actually belongs to the family, because it belongs to God. I say that because, speaking of American idolatries, I think it's important to note that it's possible to give a lot of money to things and to also not be generous in the way that this passage is describing. Some people give a lot of money because they have a lot of money to give, right? And that's wonderful, but that's different than having a posture of saying everything I have actually belongs to God and belongs to my brothers and sisters, right? So it's this posture of open-handedness with possessions. I think it's interesting to note, and you can make a strong case for this in the New Testament, that this open-handedness in the family of God is equalizing for both rich and poor. So notice what I just said. It's possible to give a lot of money and to actually not be generous at all, right? But if we are all open-handed surrounding our possessions, it equalizes rich and poor in the family. Steve Rossi and I just got into a little conversation about this passage. I stopped up at Crestmont before I came down here this morning while we were getting ready. And we were just kind of reflecting together that, that there's certain things we do with money in ministry that 
can feel right, but do not impart dignity to people. So let me give you an example. Just like it does not impart dignity to the poor just to pity the poor and give handouts, so it does not give dignity to the rich just to want their stuff and expect them to just give us stuff, right? Um, but I find that both of those things happen in ministry context. So for instance, I was, I was with a pastor recently, and obviously I won't say where, and man, he was just talking, like sometimes numbers just flow out of people's mouths when they talk about ministry. It's just interesting to me. Um, it lets me know people are really counting every little thing. And he was giving all these dollar amounts about like, you know, we gave this much to refugees and we gave this much to the poor and we gave this much. And, and I could tell, man, this church had given a lot to the poor and praise God. At the same time, just in the way he was talking, I could tell, and he admitted later on in conversation, actually, it was a good conversation, not confrontational, he's a humble guy. But I could just tell that what wasn't present was mutuality with the poor, right? Um, I could tell what wasn't present you know, was friendship with the poor. Was, was not like the poor as a strategy for our church, right? Or the poor as a strategy for mission, right? But actually like just being with them and enjoying them, right? And loving them, right? But I think there's something else that happens when rich people walk into our gathering and we prefer them for the money they can give to our ministry, Right? or for the ministry that they can give to our mission, or right? Like sometimes we treat people or can treat people in those ways, right? I would argue that being open-handed with possessions cuts all of that out. And here's why. It's because if everybody is open-handed, rich and poor alike, it means everything belongs to everyone, so everybody becomes both receivers and givers, right? The poor get value in this kind of family, Because even the little that they can give, right? Like we begin to value the contributions of the poor, right? To our family. It's like your role in the family is not just what you receive and we're happy to give. But it's also what you give to us. As it turns out, Jesus so closely identifies with the poor. If you give them a glass of water, you've given it to me. That we discover that we actually need the poor to be part of the family because we need Jesus, Right? And we are actually missing part of Jesus, right? If the poor are an integral part of our family. So the poor receive this dignity because they get to be contributors. The rich, in many ways, it's the opposite because they get value not just for the money that they can give, but for who they are, right? And I've seen this happen that people with resources step into a real gospel family that's living out some of the stuff in Acts chapter 2, and they get valued not for the checks that they can write, not for the things that they can fund, right? But because we just love them, and they learn how to receive in the family of faith, right? The rich will give too, but actually they receive too. The poor will receive, but they actually give too. And it's this open-handedness, right, that creates a new kind of family, And I would say it's that posture of humility, that open-handedness that breaks down socioeconomic barriers between us that actually creates room for the Spirit of God that was poured out on Pentecost to create a whole new kind of economy that empire knows nothing about, right? 
a new kind of alt. It's actually, guys, you could actually say from Scripture, especially from language from Revelation, Hebrews, other places, you could actually say it's an alternate city that gets built among God's people, right? With a whole different economy, right? About how money works and how resources work, right? And how God connects all of these things together. So what does God's economy look like? Well, you see some of it here in Acts chapter 2. You know how one of our values of the gospel tab is that we believe that discipleship is fundamentally up, in, and out. So just a little review, up because it connects to God directly, his manifest presence and prayer and worship. In, right, is the horizontal nature of our relationships with each other and the family of God. It's what Acts chapter 2 is writing about. And then out, it's so much of what you see in the books of, book of Acts after Acts chapter 2, right? Um, being on mission together. So our life together as a family is defined by up, in, and out. And this is exactly the economy that God creates in a generous family. He creates an economy that is able to support up, in, and out um, expressions, right? So when, when we are open-handed and the Spirit of God is able to create his own economy, different than empire, not just using the wisdom of empire surrounding money, so that we can do mission or something, right? But actually doing something completely new. Um, Then that economy becomes up. Here's why. Because that kind of generosity present in the family, and I already hinted at this, is fundamentally idolatry obliterating, right? It's, It's no secret that although God works in the domain of money, so do the principalities and powers of empire, right? So do the principalities and the spirit of this age, right? And there's all kinds of pitfalls and traps and money is a primary um, place of idolatry, right? That can draw us into idolatry in our relationships, idolatry with each other. But when we are open-handed and we just give away what we have, it is one of the things that I have felt over the years that most disempowers demonic spirits that are behind idolatries and money. I don't know if you're tracking what I'm saying. Let me give you an example. Um, Over the years, like I'll give you a community example. Over the years, one of the times when I have felt like we have been most effective at disempowering a principality in power, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, demonic spirits that even have influence over a region or in a system, right? One of the times I have felt most empowered in fighting those kinds of spirits has been in times of radical generosity. So I'll give you an example. One time, I'll equip Impact, the youth development organization that started years ago, got a grant. And Brandy, who's now the executive director, um, and actually, I think this has happened more than once, I'm not quite sure, but I remember the one story. We got a grant, and we just realized after receiving the grant that there was another entity in the city that would actually make better use of that money, all right? So we got it because of the relationships, but we actually realized we weren't the best ones to, to do what was needed to be done, right, with this money. Now, here's something else about, like, like well, I, that's an important part of the story. This other entity was not a Christian organization. So I just want to point that out. It wasn't even, there were Christians involved, 
But it wasn't even a Christian organization. It was just, it was people, some Christians involved, but people who were trying to do good things for the city. And we realized that they were actually better positioned to execute the terms of this grant, right? And so we decided that we were just going to give this money away, some of the thousands of dollars, that we were going to give this money where we asked permission from the grant maker, if we could instead share it with this other group and if they could do with it. And if I just, if I had time, I don't this one, but if I would just share with you the looks on people's faces, right? Um, the conversations that surrounded that kind of generosity, right? Even for a ministry to say, the grants that we receive, we have to stay open-handed with them, right? Like they aren't ours. By the way, they belong to other people, right? They belong to the city. They belong to, right? So we don't even consider those things, like to have ownership over them, right? It was one of the times I would say, man, we, even more, even more than like, Standing over the city. And I'm all for this kind of stuff. I really am. But standing over the city and just praying against, I don't know, territorial spirits or something. You know, like Christians love to do that stuff. I love it too. There's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes it feels like we're just shouting to the air. Right? But I'll tell you, when I've really felt those spirits get disempowered is in these radical acts of generosity. Because I'm telling you, like when we gave that money away, it was just one of those times I thought, man... Demons don't know what to do with this, you know? <laughs> like, they don't know what to do when people don't hold on to their stuff. When people hold on to their stuff, demons can do all kinds of things, yeah. right? They can inspire fear. Yeah. They can inspire violence. They can inspire paranoia in relationships, right? All those kinds of But when people are just like, I don't know, it's not mine, right? Like, I'm just going to give it away. It just disempowers them, right? Like, even if... They wanted to do something. I don't know what they would do, right? Because, because if we're not holding on to it, right? So it's up, right? This economy is up. It's creating an up kind of family because it centers us in worship. Over the years, just on a personal level, when Chelsea and I have felt the idolatry of greed, like sneaking into our hearts, and this will happen at different, different stages of life. Let me tell you, like when Chelsea and I first got married and moved in here, we were like, you know, we were in this just graduated from college activist stage. It was almost like cool to be poor. You know what I mean? And so we're like, oh yeah, we're going to be like, by the way, that's only ever cool to you if you actually, if you weren't ever poor, right? Um, and so, so like, but we were in this stage, it was like, oh yeah, we're going to like sacrifice for the kingdom stuff. But let me tell you, like you got, you have kids, I mean, cars, and these idolatries of greed start to come back in, right? And one of the things that, we, that has kept our hearts free from idolatry is when we start feeling that, we're like, well, we're just going to give away more, you know? Like, we're just going to, whatever we gave last year, we're just going to increase it. We tried to increase it every year we've been married. It's like, we're just going to give more away, more sacrifice, we're gonna, right? And it keeps us dependent on God, right? And dependent on His provision and trusting Right? That he will provide for us. It's centered on him and worship and not attached to our things. Right? It's an in economy for the obvious reasons. Right? They're, they're um, giving to anyone who had need. Right? So this is an economy that takes care of the family. We were talking about the benevolence fund. Hey, this is kind of like a little in-house conversation. The gospel had family, our benevolence fund, which really helps care for each other. Um, we're often able to help with each other's 
bills and emergencies and you know, stuff like that. But we also help our community a lot out of that fund. I, I think this last year, I've never seen us spend so much out of the Benevolence Fund. So much so, we spend it almost all the way down. And let me tell you, that makes my heart so glad. Like, please, give to that, right? That, that when you give to the Benevolence Fund, it doesn't go to anybody's salary. It doesn't go to our buildings. It doesn't, it's all dedicated, you know, for these purposes. And I would love it if we continued to have the problem of spending down the Benevolence Fund. Yeah. And if you kept giving generously to it, right? It's one of the most practical ways we have to share with each other. Um, but you don't have to give to a centralized fund to do that. You can also just meet each other's needs. Yeah. And I know our church well enough to know that happens all the time. Um, Chelsea and I have been recipients of that. Can I, I don't have this in my notes, but can I just share with you two, maybe I don't know, faith-building, like testimony kind of stories. When Chelsea and I like were in that early activist stage and we didn't like have any, you know any resources, it felt like ever, um, you know, like we, I just yeah we didn't have money. I don't know how else to say it. And so, like one time when we were still, I know we had moved up to Boundary Street, um, our refrigerator broke. Like it was it was used. We'd never bought a new appliance, right? So it it broke. All this water was coming out of it. You could just tell this wasn't going to get fixed, right? And Chelsea and I were like, we just don't have the money for this. Like, we can put it on a credit card. You know what I mean? But it was like, man, it would be so great if God, you know, provided for this to trust him. Right? Because sometimes our credit cards take away the opportunity, right, for God to do what he wants to do, right? Well, all I can tell you guys is we walked into church that next Sunday up at the Crestmont campus, just testimony. Somebody walked up to us and said, we've been praying for you, and they handed us $800 in Lowe's gift cards. It was enough to buy a refrigerator. You know what I mean? Like, from Lowe's. You know, like, like they just gave that to us, right? Here's another story. You know that little light blue Civic I drive around? It's a 2012. It has, like, so many miles. I don't know how long it's going to last. Honda's last forever. Um, but I'm driving that thing. Well, when we bought it in 2014. And let me tell you that story. Before that, Chelsea and I had one car, right? It was a Toyota Camry. I bought it off my grandfather in college. I drove it until it had 250,000 miles on it. And actually, it was still going strong. Like, do you remember there were all these dumb, wrong things with the car? Like, the driver's side door handle one time just came off in my hand. (laughs) And for the longest, I didn't fix it. (laughs) So you had to, like, open the door from the other side. So... All these like dumb things were wrong with it, but it's going fine. And I don't, I don't know what happened. It was like one day I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, like this car is not going to last forever, you know? So I told Chelsea, this is literally the story. I told Chelsea one weekend, we really need to start praying for a new car. Like this car is just not going to last forever. Like it's treating us fine, but look at it, you know? And so I was like, let's pray. Guys, we prayed for two days. I hope this is fake building for some of you. We prayed for two days. And after church at the Crestmont campus, um, we finished service, and someone called my phone. It was a family friend of Chelsea's who lived in another state. I never met them. It was a friend of Chelsea's parents. And he said, Joel, um, you know, we never met. He said, uh, I'd recently received an inheritance, and I was praying, and God told me to buy you guys a car. <laughs> so we're like, <laughs> we're like two days into it, right? And so, and let me tell you, like, 
that, that light blue Civic, we were like, we're not going to have a car payment. You know what I mean? Because we just felt like God's provision it. And we were like, it's going to fit in this number. You know? Um, and I've had that car now since 2014. You know what I mean? Eight years, God's provision, right? So that's the in nature, right? Of like what God, and I know so many of you have your own stories. But many times, God uses the family to work kind of these miracles that point attention to him, right? Um, and for obvious reasons, this economy is an out economy, right? What flows out of this family is mission, right? All kinds of creative things end up happening in the early church to care for the poor and to preach the gospel and to extend the church, right, in the Roman world. I'm not going to share with you her whole story because I think I referenced her really recently, but I can never get away from this story of this woman, Pastor Barbara, who eventually was martyred. I think I've shared her story with you. Um, but I never knew her personally, but I was in the room with her several times in prayer gatherings. And um, before she was martyred, uh, she was leading a network of like 50 churches in Cuban prisons, right? She had planted this network of, of churches in Cuban prisons. And I wasn't there for it. I know I've told you some of the story, but it's just worth mentioning. I wasn't there for it, but there was this prayer gathering not long before she died where generous people had brought her to the United States because she, I mean, like many powerful leaders in the global church, she was not a woman of great wealth, right? But, but of great power, for sure, you know? And so some friends of mine wanted her at this prayer gathering, Right? So they find some generous donors to, to pay for her to come to this prayer gathering in Atlanta. And on the way there, she's praying that God would give her an offering to be able to put into the offering, to, like they were gonna take this like mission offering, right? Can you imagine praying that way, having nothing and saying, God, would you just put something in my hand so that I can give it? I mean, it's crazy, right? But it is what you often find in the global church, right? So she's, she's praying for that, shows up, and someone puts, puts on someone's heart to give her $300. She gets the $300 like the night before the service, and she's like, oh God, this is the answer to prayer, right? Like, I'm, I now have something to put in the offering, right? So she puts all of that money right, that she has back into the offering that's going to be like going to the global church. Well, somehow someone figured out that she had done this. Like she didn't do it in a public way, but like the people around her who were hosting her realized that she had done this. And what do you think that made them want to do? These people with more resources. It was like, we got to give what we have. And like I had heard stories about it, but I never had heard of it happening in our time. In the early Christian Missionary Alliance, there would be these gatherings where God's spirit would move so powerfully, the healing services and stuff like that, that people would be overcome with radical generosity and they would be taking off their jewelry and putting it into the plate to support the work of global missions, right? Literally, like, figuring out how to sell their houses to support the work of global missions, right, that was happening around the world. Well, that's what happened in this gathering. So people start taking off their jewelry and putting it in it. Because how can, this is what generosity does in the family, how could, how could people hold on to their jewelry when Pastor Barbara is giving literally to the last dollar, right? Everything that she has is <laughs> putting it right into the plate. And long story short, but I've been in some environments where this has happened, but it was like this ping pong of generosity started to happen among the family. 
It was like, well, you gave, so I'm going to give. And you gave. It's like what Paul says to outdo one another in love, right? And not in a prideful way, but it's just like, how can I hold on to my stuff when you're not holding on to your stuff, right? There's a way that the Spirit of God starts to work in the family that it just like causes this explosion. I don't want to exaggerate, but I think Pastor Barbara went back to Cuba with something like $30,000 to support her churches like by the end of that. It was so multiplied. And that's what happens when love, when, but here's what it takes, is open-handedness, right? Because that, let me tell you what will stop that ping-pong, right, of love. Like the Spirit of God just like, bing, 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 bing. Oh, I can give, I can give, I can give, I can give. Here's what stops that, is when it hits someone who's holding on to their stuff, right? <laughs> and then when we hold on to our stuff, we stop that movement, right? Um, it just so happened that night, the way the Spirit of God was working, no one was holding on to their stuff. Like, not even their jewelry, right? And it just opened up, like, this radical generosity. So God's economy creates this up, in, and out. And so some final thoughts. And I feel like, I was praying for you all this morning. I feel like there might even just be one or two. I don't know how many God didn't show me. But I feel like there's some people in this room that this part is especially for. So if that's you, just receive it. So I want to point out that this economy of up, in, and out, created in the context of open-handedness, is an economy that both extends and creates wealth. So first of all, it extends wealth because economies of sharing do just that. They take the little and they turn it into a lot. I don't know if you know, but we have some like beautiful testimonies of this even in our own story. So, you know, these Benedictine monk-like people here at the Community of Celebration have become friends of ours. Um, For all their years... Their interpretation of this verse, and listen, you just have to, this is what monks have done through all history. They live their lives in a radical way following Jesus, and they're a prophetic witness to the church. It makes us think like, oh, is that what Jesus is asking? Right? So what I'm about to tell you is going to make you like feel that way. It makes me feel that way. I'm living with them. Right? For all these years, they've lived out of a common purse. And by that, I mean that when they got a paycheck, they didn't save any of it for themselves. It all went into a common purse for ministry. Isn't that wild and subversive and crazy? You know what I mean? And I haven't done it. I'm not that wild, right? But my wild 80-year-old friends are (laughs) that way, right? And for all these years, they've lived out this common purse. And one thing I can tell you is that the net effect of them not holding on to their stuff for all these years has resulted in these incredible stories of generosity, so much so that all of this is getting passed on to our network. They built this chapel. They did all this stuff. They really were the seedbed for Aliquip Impact and our movement here, right? It all came just because they found a way to not hold on to their things, right? And when they did that, it allowed the Spirit of God to do something creative. And I'm not saying that what we got to do is just copy them. But what I'm saying is there is a posture of open-handedness that created a beautiful kind of story. It extended wealth, right? I think it's their influence on us. You know, I co-direct now our network uh, regionally with Brandy. And Brandy and I were just talking about this last week, that the influence of monasticism on us over the years has been that it's different. It's a different kind of common purse. But we have also learned to extend wealth in ministry in our network, um, friends, if I told you, like, 
so, yeah, I don't know if this will make sense to you or not, but right now, like the greenhouse network, right, extending from Keysport going into Ohio. Hey, we're in a pregnant moment, by the way. It's like by December, there might be like um, somewhere between like 12 and 16 new missional outposts like getting planted in the network. Um, I was in three communities last week. I'm like, oh my gosh, churches are getting planted in all three of these communities. It was two weeks ago. Just we're in this pregnant, accelerated moment. But here's the deal: like yearly, the greenhouse network is doing ministry with millions of dollars at this point. But here's the crazy thing: the network, like as in Brandy and I, control less than five thousand dollars last year. Right? Like we're not in control. Like, of any, I couldn't even tell you how it works. All I can tell you is that when I watch our network leaders share with each other, do you know how common it is in the network that one organization writes a check to another organization? You know what I mean? Like, they share resources, they figure it out. You know what I mean? How are we going to staff a person? How are we going to get them health insurance? All this stuff. From, from, a relative, from a place, like, forget how people just talking about Western Pennsylvania, a place that really has experienced poverty. We have experienced the riches of God in ministry, the extension of wealth, right? Because people are willing uh, to share with each other. I don't fully understand it. I'm just watching it happen, right? And I keep watching. And it totally is its own prophetic witness that we don't need big centralized budgets to do ministry. That we don't need big concentrations of wealth to do ministry. That you don't need a lot of money to do ministry, right? That God can actually multiply all kinds of things out of poverty. But it also creates wealth. And this, I'm just going to be honest with you to say, like, this is the part that only God can do. As soon as I start talking this way, I'm just like, there are miracles that God works with provision. But he does it in families that are open-handed, right? Now, I have to say, he's so generous I've experienced this, you probably have too. He does give even when we cling on to his things. It's just so generous. It's like you can't help it. You know what I mean? It's just like always giving his stuff away, right? But I'll tell you what, man, when we are willing to be open-handed, the things that he will pour in. Two quick stories. I'm sure I've preached too long. Two quick stories here, just real fast. But like, guys, um, I remember one time, Aliquip Impact had exactly $5,000 in the bank or something right around there. Payroll was coming up. This is in the early, a lot of it. None of us got paid for years at Aliquip Impact, first of all. And then um, once we started trying to pay people for their work, there were always these paycheck freezes because we, we just didn't have resources, right? So I remember Steve was the executive director. This is over 10 years ago. We had like $5,000 in the bank, guys. Payroll was coming up. I, I can deal with not being paid, but, man, we had other people like on staff and I'm just like man I'm concerned about them I'm worried about them and Steve comes up to me and he says hey here's what I'm feeling like God is telling us to do we're supposed to give half of our money away to another ministry in the neighborhood I'm like really? (laughs) is that what God said? you know what I mean? like half of it and there were these two Pentecostal pastors that had been laboring in one of our neighborhoods for the longest with almost no resources. And Steve was like, I think we're, Steve was like, honestly, we've had way more resources than them and they've been laboring for longer. And so I think if we're supposed to make sure everyone's needs are covered, let's take the little that we have and give it, right? And guys, all I can say is, I told Steve, I remember saying to him, I know like 
you hear God, so that's why I'm saying yes, but I don't get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and, um, and he wrote the check, and guys, later that day, he opened up the mail, and there was a check for the same amount from the church in Ohio that had been given to us. And more than that, we, we had the money that we needed, right, to make it a ministry. Or I could give you, like, another kind of story. A time when Alec of Impact was praying in this room, our staff, and we were like, God, we know we could reach more kids if we had more resources, but we just don't. And I know that's what was in our heart. It wasn't our salaries or anything like that. It was just like, God, we want to serve more kids, so we need more resources. And I remember us saying, give us this day our daily bread. Something just like rose up in us. Later that day, we found out that um, an anonymous donor had designated, as for all I know, you could be sitting here. It may have been you. An anonymous donor had designated money through a foundation in Pittsburgh, a $90,000 grant. We found out about it that day. That's the grant that let us move into St. Titus down here and start our programs, right? It seeded the money for that, right? So there is just this miraculous part. Okay, John, if you'd come and play, I've got to wrap this up. Um, but I, I hope this is stirring something in you, at least of faith. But I also think, like, giving... Generosity is one of the particular graces that God puts on people's life. And I want you to know, and this is not just like for the rich people. But see, remember what I said, the equalizing thing? All this is for the poor people too. It's just beautiful how God dignifies us all, right, in this. He's so pleased with the, right, Jesus with that widow. He's so pleased with the penny that's given. And he's so pleased when people sell their houses, right, and property and give. Um, but there is a particular grace, and some people in our family have this particular grace. And the grace is not just to write checks, although I think it's wonderful when people want to do that. I think the grace of giving, as it's described in the New Testament, is often this grace to both extend and create wealth. And, real, and you don't have to live in a rich neighborhood and be wealthy to extend and create wealth, all right? As a matter of fact, I know a lot of my neighbors experiencing poverty who extend and create wealth all the time, right? Um, as a matter of fact, some of the people I know who are best at the sharing piece are poor people, right? Because they've, they've been learning to extend wealth for a long time, right? We have to stop viewing the poor as just people who are the objects of our wealth, but as people who have something to teach us about how the kingdom of God actually works in a place, Right? to allow us to learn something. So um, that particular grace to extend and create wealth, there are people in our family who have that. And let me tell you, my experience is that just like the grace of, of service, the gift of service, which prefers not to be in front of people, um, the, the grace of giving is that way too. You probably don't know who these people are because they don't prefer to be in front of people. <laughs> um, right? It's like they're, they're like stealth fighters like in the background fighting with generosity or something, okay? So I just want to impart this to you as I close. The creativity, the mind of God is at work in this kind of extending, creating economy, sharing economy, anti-empire economy, all this stuff, open-handed economy. And so three creative thoughts. Number one, you don't have to just give in a centralized way. Let me tell you, every pastor who preaches a sermon like this, there's a like temptation to make the sermon about giving to the church, right? 
And, I, and please, like I, Chelsea and I have increased our giving to the gospel tab every year. I'm so grateful for every year we've been part of this family. I'm so grateful for the ways that you give. And even as my transition from this role is coming up, we're going to keep giving because we believe in what's happening here. Like you guys are our family, right? So we're going to continue to give and increase our giving, right? As, as we always have. Um, but I would also say that this economy isn't just about centralized funds. It's about your relationships with each other. Yeah. Find creative ways to give. Uh, $800 in Lowe's gifts, gift cards never got passed through the Gospel Tab's accounts, right? We never counted that in our, I don't know, year-end annual reports. But it is part of what God is counting, right? And so direct your generosity to one another. Direct your generosity in the community, right? And, and please, I've, I've heard pastors preach sermons like, don't give your money to like unbelievers. Make sure it stays in the church. I don't know what they're talking about. Because to me, generosity is one of the things that just shows the unbelieving world that we are for real. You know what I mean? And um, like just cuts out demonic power right, in our relationships. So, so like, what does it feel like to a city if everything we start in this city is just to fund our own stuff? Are we then blessing the city, right? Let me tell you, I spend time around church planners now, and there's all this talk about, like, business as mission for church planning. And a friend of mine just recently said, and it's so true, I love that businesses are getting started in our network, but we can't be... We can't be starting businesses just to fund our stuff, right? Like, it's like, let's start businesses to bless the city, right? Let's start businesses to bless the unbelieving world, right? And let's trust that somehow, like, God will work in that, right? So, so be decentralized in the way that you get. There's also this, um, oh, I just said the second one, that we have to do more than just start things to fund our own stuff, and lastly, and this is really how I want to end and just pray over some of you, we have to ask for the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God, by the way, is so, like, circumstantial. If you read the Proverbs, have you noticed that in one place it says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest he thinks he's wise. Right? I think I have some King James there, that verse memorized. But then, like, like in another place, it says to answer the fool. Right? Well, why? Well, it's because the wisdom of God isn't a set of rules. It's a person who speaks to us. That's why at the beginning of Proverbs, wisdom is personified, right, as a person, right? So this is how it is with money. Sometimes the wisdom of God is to give all $300 into the offering plate. Sometimes the wisdom of God is to give half the account away when you don't think you're going to make payroll. And sometimes the wisdom of God is to save the money for the thing that God has. Or sometimes the wisdom of God is to get in a room and pray and a surprise grant pops up. The, the manifold wisdom of God, right? The endless creativity of God. And I just feel like, we're small in number today, I just feel like there's a grace of God for a handful of you to move in a greater level of that grace. So I'm gonna pray it over you, all right? So if that's you, just receive this. So God, we pray the grace of God the wisdom of God for kingdom economy, for God's economy. 
Lord, forgive us for adopting the narratives of empire that tell us what the rich are and what they should do and who the poor are and what they should do. Forgive us for just playing by the script. Even for ourselves. Every one of us in this room has a history with money. A history with money in our own families, places where it was present, places where it wasn't, places where anxiety was present, places where joy was present. We all have a history with money. And often it's a place where the enemy has worked with us and spoken lies. And so God, we just pray that you would free us from those things. All of us have a history with money in the church. Um, Places where we thought the church did the right thing, places where we thought the church did the wrong thing. God, we don't want to live by those narratives either. We want to live by the wisdom of God when it comes to financial resources. So God, this morning, for some people in this room that you are gifting, I pray for special kingdom impartation to both extend and create wealth. In Jesus' name, for kingdom purposes. And kingdom purposes are up, in, and out to glorify you and disempower idolatry, to share for the needs of the family, and to extend mission even to the ends of the earth. God, thank you for involving us in these things. And would you increase, God, the number of like miraculous stories surrounding finances in this family. God, I love sharing that car story. I love sharing that refrigerator story. Not because it's about a car and a refrigerator. Like, that refrigerator eventually broke too. And my car, I hope it lasts. I don't know. But, God, it's because we get to see you. And so, God, if you want to show yourself in those things, then would you give us faith to see you more in those hard places? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.